Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. We are hungry for transformation, aren't we? Like you, I have been deeply disturbed by some of the things that we have witnessed these last few weeks. Watching a child of God who originally had the breath of life breathed into him by his creator, then having that same breath senselessly crushed from his lungs. We are angry at the deaths of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor, and we are brokenhearted by the hatred taking root in our country, the discord and the division wreaking havoc in our city, and the distrust that finds its way into our own hearts. As a man who's had the societal upper hand for my entire life, my personal goal during this time is to do a lot less talking and a lot more listening, to try to hear the hurts of my brothers and sisters and to allow my heart to feel what their heart does. Because I follow a man named Jesus who came and who walked among us. And when he did, scripture says repeatedly that he was moved. He was deeply moved by the brokenness that he saw around him. And it was that compassion that led him to tangibly love the people that God placed in his path. And as the followers of Jesus, we are called to do the same thing. Today, we're beginning a series through Colossians chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul reminds us, among other things, that we, as the followers of Jesus, the church, are called to be defenders of human dignity and agents of social transformation. And in a world that was rampant with racism and sexism and social discrimination, Paul had the audacity to speak a courageous thing about the followers of Jesus. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, he said, here... There is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. As Steve reminded us earlier, one of the reasons that Jesus died is to bring reconciliation where there once had been division, to bring healing between people groups where there once had been brokenness. And as the followers of Jesus, we will continue to work and pray and witness until we see the transformation that God desires for our country and our city and our families and ultimately our own hearts because we are in need of transformation. And we are constantly changing, aren't we? Our bodies are constantly shifting and adapting based on what we eat and what we drink and how we exercise and and how we sleep. If you're anything like me, you've been at home a lot lately, maybe a little bit too close to the pantry. Maybe you've already gained your COVID-19. I've packed on a few the last few weeks. I've heard it said that I'm like a walking economy. My hairline is in recession. My waistband is suffering from inflation, and that causes me a great depression. But in the same way that the outer you is being shaped, so is the inner you. We call that process spiritual formation. It's the process by which your heart is shaped based on what you see and hear and think and do and see. And and, and make no mistake, spiritual formation is not optional any more than bodily transformation is optional. You are being shaped. Your spirit, your heart is being formed. The only question is, are you becoming more like Jesus? or less like him. 
And, and I know that many of you genuinely desire to become like Jesus, to be transformed. And, and you work hard at this and you ask God for his help and you put in spiritual disciplines and new practices in place in your life to try to become who God is calling you to be. But maybe you're frustrated by what seems like a lack of progress and month after month after month and you just feel like the same old person. Well, here in Colossians chapter three, Paul is going to give us a clearer vision of transformation, a process by which God makes us into who he wants us to be. A survey a few years ago revealed that one of the biggest barriers to people growing spiritually is that a lot of people equate spiritual maturity with trying really hard to follow the rules in the Bible. And that, my friends, is a problem of focus. I heard the story of an old factory worker and every day when they got off work, the factory workers would have to be inspected to make sure that they weren't stealing anything. And night after night, this one workman would come out of the factory pushing a wheelbarrow full of sawdust. And naturally, the security guard was a little suspicious. And so he would dig through the sawdust, making sure the guy wasn't stealing anything, but he never found anything, but his suspicions remained. And this went on for week after week, year after year, until finally one day the guard just asked, listen, buddy, I know you're stealing something. I just don't know what it is. Tell you what, if you just tell me, I won't turn you in. What have you been stealing? And the worker smiled and said, wheelbarrows. (laughs) It's amazing what you miss when you focus on the wrong thing. You see, the Bible is not primarily giving us a list of rules or do's and don'ts. The primary goal of the Bible is to show us who God is and therefore to show us who we are. And so with that in mind, let's go ahead and jump into the first four verses of Colossians chapter three here. Paul says this, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, these are the first four verses, but in the first 17 verses of Colossians chapter 3, Paul lays out for us this process of spiritual transformation that we're going to be going through this month. Our text for the day is verses 1 through 4, and you could go ahead and jot this outline in the margins of your Bible or in your notes. It might be helpful for you this month. In verses 1 through 4, Paul says, look up. And then in verses 5 through 11, he says, take off. And then in verses 12 through 17, he says, put on. But for our purposes today, the first step is to look up, specifically to look up at Jesus. In those four verses that we just read, Paul mentions Christ four times. You see, Jesus is the key. If you want to look like Jesus, you have to look at Jesus. Tomorrow, we'll be kicking off our VBS at home, and we are really excited because the theme of the week is focus. And hundreds of families are going to be learning together our verse for the week, Hebrews chapter 12, verse two, which says, let us keep looking to Jesus. And that's what Paul says here in Colossians chapter three, look up to Jesus. And if if we take these verses in context, which we always should, you'll notice that at the end of Colossians chapter two, Paul has just gotten done talking about how the rules and the regulations of empty religion are powerless to change our hearts. And so instead of giving us a list of rules, God gives us a person, Jesus. And the message of Colossians is that Jesus is enough. 
Jesus is enough to save you. Jesus is enough to bring you a relationship with God. Jesus is enough to change you into who God wants you to be. Jesus is enough. And and certainly the Bible does have regulations for holy living. Paul's going to give us a lot of those for the rest of the chapter. But first and foremost, Paul's goal is to remind us of who Jesus is and who Jesus has done and who we are in him. Look up, Paul says. He doesn't start by just saying, do this or don't do that. He says, look at what God has already done. Look up. So so let's look at what God has done. Paul says right here at the beginning, since then you have been raised with Christ. This verb here literally means co-resurrected. That when Jesus was resurrected to life, you can be resurrected to life with him. We learned a while back that when you follow Jesus, what is true of him becomes true of you. You've been co-resurrected because he is alive. You can be alive in him. So if that's true, then then where is Jesus right now? Well, Paul says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Last week in Romans chapter eight, we learned that right now Jesus is in heaven as our advocate before the father. Hebrews chapter one tells us that after Jesus died for our sins, after he was buried, after he rose again on the third day and then ascended into heaven 40 days later, he sat down at the right hand of God. And why is Jesus sitting? He's sitting because the work of atonement is done. It is finished, he said from the cross. Your sins have been paid for. That's where he is. That is the objective reality of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. But it's also a personal reality. So Paul talks here about our baptism. He says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. We've talked about this before, that your baptism was your funeral. That when you went down into that water, your old self was crucified with Jesus. In fact, again, in context, Paul just talked about this in the previous chapter, Colossians chapter two, verse 12. He said, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So again, what is true of Jesus became true of you, that when you went down into that water through your faith, you were crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, and when you came up, you were resurrected with Christ. In other words, when you became a Christian, God didn't just take the old you and make her a little bit nicer and a little bit happier. God killed the old you and he made a brand new you. And now Jesus is living his life through you, which is why Paul can say what he says next, that our life is now hidden with Christ in God. What does that mean that our life is hidden with him? I think primarily it means two big things. First, it means that you are safe. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, no one can pluck you out of my hand. Last week in Romans chapter eight, we learned that nothing can separate us from God's love. You're safe when you're in him. But but secondly, your life is hidden with him. That also means that you're strange. (laughs) Now, some of you are are really strange. (laughs) I'm kidding, kind of. (laughs) <laughs> but, but, but by that, I mean that, that when your life is hidden with God, it's, it's gonna be strange to the people around you when you follow Jesus. They're not gonna understand it. It's not gonna make sense. They might think you're foolish when they see you spend time in God's word, when they see you give your money away, when they see you take an unpopular stance on an issue because your life is hidden with Christ. It's not gonna make sense to them. We live by faith, not by sight. And yet, as the old song says, there is coming a day when our faith will become sight. 
which is why Paul says that when Christ, who is your life, can you say that? Can you say that Jesus really is your life? That when he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. A day is coming, and I hope soon, when Jesus comes back and when he does, the Bible says that every eye will see him, every knee will bow, and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And on that day, we won't be the ones who look foolish anymore. And so Paul has done what he said he would do. Look up. He has reminded us of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. That Jesus came, he died, he was buried, he rose again, he ascended, he is seated at the right hand of the Father right now, and one day he will return and appear in glory. But not only that, Paul has reminded us of who we are in Jesus. That what is true of him is true of us. That we have been crucified with him, raised with him, and that one day we will appear and be glorified with him. And now, in light of that glorious truth, now Paul tells us what to do. And he gives us two key commands that will be crucial for your transformation, for your spiritual growth. And the first command is this. Paul says, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Now, in our particular flavor of church, we have often been guilty of treating spiritual formation as a primarily intellectual exercise. That if we just pump your head full of enough Bible knowledge, you'll end up like Jesus. But, but Paul's aiming a little deeper than our heads here. He, he's aiming for our hearts because Paul knows that as human beings, we're not just thinkers. We're also lovers. That we don't always do what we think we should do. Sometimes we just do what our gut tells us to do. Sometimes we do what we want to do. Sometimes we follow our desires. We work toward what we love. And so the process of spiritual formation is this process of trying to get our desires in line with our beliefs, to try to get our head and our wills in line with what we know to be true, to get them to work in sync according to the will of God, which is why the mark of a spiritually mature person is somebody who loves what God loves and wants what God wants and hates what God hates somebody whose desires and will is in sync and meshed with the desires and will of God himself. Now, the problem, of course, with that is that none of us are naturally like that. Naturally, we all have these inward-focused hearts. And if we're not careful, then we can spend all our time trying to fix all these outward behavior issues without ever really addressing the underlying heart problem. In the wake of everything that's been going on lately, my mind went back to the Columbine shooting from a few years ago where two boys walked into school with guns and killed 12 of their classmates, one teacher, and wounded 24 others before taking their own lives. And in the wake of that shooting, there was a survey that went out in which 83% of the respondents said that they thought that that tragedy happened because the parents of those boys failed to teach them proper values. Well, about 10 years after this tragedy, the mother of one of the shooters, the boy's name was Dylan, his mom wrote an article. And in this, she wrote this about her son. She said, Dylan was a product of my life's work but his final actions implied that he'd never been taught the fundamentals of right and wrong. There was no way to atone for my son's behavior. In raising Dylan, I taught him how to protect himself from a host of dangers, 
lightning, snake bites, head injuries, skin cancer, smoking, drinking, drug addiction, reckless driving, even carbon monoxide poisoning. It never occurred to me that the gravest danger to him, and as it turned out, to many others, might come from within. You see, the problem then with Dylan and the problem now with the hatred that is spilling blood on our streets is that our hearts are sick. That my heart, me, is full of prejudice and bitterness and selfishness and envy. That my heart is not naturally oriented toward the ways of God, toward compassion and mercy and justice. And we are all in need of a divine work of heart transformation. Every one of us. And and scripture talks about this all the time in in places like Proverbs 4.23, which says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And this is why Paul says in in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he warns us of the the danger of wrongly ordered loves. He doesn't say that money, he says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's a heart issue. And and, and Jesus says this too in Matthew chapter 6. He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You will serve what you love. What you love most, you will live toward. Let me say that again. What you love most, you will live toward. Which is why Jesus later says in Mark chapter 12 that the greatest commandment of all isn't just to believe the Lord your God, isn't just to trust the Lord your God, but to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And this is why our highest goal for you as a church is not that you'd be able to articulate a set of doctrines or uh, partake in a series of rituals or answer a set of questions. Our highest goal for you is that you would love the living God that you would know him, not just as a theological object or a philosophical reality, but that you would know him as a person and love him as the object of your highest affections. As one of my personal heroes said it, who we teach you to love is more important than what we teach you to know. Or as Paul would say, set your hearts on things above. So let me just ask you, What do you love? And keep in mind that anything you love more than God is an idol. John Calvin says that the human heart is an idol factory. (laughs) I don't know about your heart, but I know that mine sure is. So what do you love? What do you daydream about? What's your vision of the good life? What do you find the most joy in? What do you spend the most time on? What are you working toward? What are you spending your money on or saving your money for? And, and, and these things that can get in the way of our relationship with God, they can even be good things like, like your kids or your marriage. For me, sometimes my idol is ministry. And Martin Luther said this. He said, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. So let me ask you again, 
What do you love? Well, well, I love my wife. My wife, Rebecca, is my favorite person in the world. I have never met anybody who is funnier or more gracious or more beautiful than she is. And yet, it's one thing for me to say that I love Rebecca, and it's another thing for my lifestyle to prove that love. So I texted some people this week, and I just asked them the question, hey, what would my lifestyle be like to prove that I love Rebecca more than anybody else? What actions would I do to demonstrate that love? Here's some of the responses I got. They said things like this. Compliment her beauty in the morning before she even fixes her hair. Give her 30 minutes a day just to talk about her heart. Speak well of her to her children. Let her hold the remote. Protect your covenant with her. Call her in the middle of the day for no reason. Say, I'm sorry. Share your day with her. Pray with her. Read scripture with her. Always do what she says, even when she's obviously wrong. (laughs) Be protective of your time with her. Sacrifice your preferences for her. Let her pick what we watch and what we eat and what we do. Put her first, thinking of her in any decision. Buy her gifts because diamonds are a girl's best friend. Maybe change a diaper or two. See dishes as an opportunity to clean my ego rather than the plate. See taking out the trash as a way in which I also take out my selfishness. Ask her for ways that I can become a better servant and a better friend to her. Do the things that matter to her and include her in the things that matter to you. Be a student of her. Delight in her presence. Now, thankfully, I have a very gracious wife because I fall short in every single one of those things. But scripture tells us that our marriages are actually supposed to be a reflection of the relationship between Christ and his church. So let's run that back and try it again, and let's reframe it a little bit. Uh, Let's ask it like this. Uh, What would your lifestyle be like to demonstrate that you love God more than anyone else? What kind of actions would you do to prove that love? Compliment his beauty in the morning. Give him 30 minutes a day just to talk about his heart. Speak well of him to his children. Let him hold the remote. Protect your covenant with him. Call him in the middle of the day for no reason. Say, I'm sorry. Share your day with him. Pray with him. Read scripture with him. Always do what he says because he's obviously never wrong. Be protective of your time with him. Sacrifice your preferences for him. Let him pick what you watch and what you eat and what you do. Put him first, thinking of him in any decision. Buy him gifts. Maybe change a diaper or two. Do the dishes, take out the trash. Ask him for ways that you can become a better servant and a better friend to him. Do the things that matter to him and include him in the things that matter to you. Be a student of him. Delight in his presence. Set your hearts on things above. Now, please understand, the goal for this sermon is not that you would leave this service just thinking, man, I should pray more. I should read my Bible more. No, the goal here is that you would love God, is that you would want God, that you would like God, that you would crave God. As one author says, he says it like this, He says, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the immensity of the sea. I want you 
to attach your hopes and pin your desires and aim your affections at the king of the universe. I want you to long to know him so deeply that it drives you to scripture and prayer and community because anything else that you love in place of him will only leave you empty. St. Augustine famously said it like this. He said, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Set your hearts on things above. Now, if that seems like a daunting task to you, don't be afraid because Paul gives us the second command here in the very next verse that tells us how to do this. He says this, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Yes, we are creatures of desire and you may feel powerless to control the desires of your heart. But the good news is that our head and our hearts are connected. And as human beings, God has given us the basic ability to think, to choose what we pay attention to. And notice that attention is something so valuable that we pay it. Uh, There's a psychologist named Timothy Wilson who talks about how uh, we live most of our lives just on autopilot, that most of what we do every day is just habit. In fact, he estimates that only 5% of our daily tasks and actions are the result of a conscious decision. And we know this to be true. Think about when you first learned how to drive. When you first learned, I mean, you were hyper aware every stop, every step, every turn of the wheel and flip of the blinger. But now if you're anything like me, you can get to the end of the day, you you pack up, you leave work, hop in your car and you're thinking about what you did that day or a conversation. And before you know it, you are sitting in your driveway at home and you have no idea how you even got there because our minds tend to wander. And yet Paul is calling us to put our minds on a leash to be fully present, to be literally thoughtful. You see, our our, our minds don't passively take on godly mental habits. Our minds don't drift to things above. Paul says we have to set them there. We have to chase down our thoughts, grab them, and drag them to things above. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. This is an act of the will to train your mind and your thoughts. And Paul talks elsewhere about this in places like Romans chapter 12. He says things like this, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter two, but we have the mind of Christ. In Philippians chapter two, he says in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. The key to setting your heart on things above is to set your mind on things above. Now, we believe that the Bible and science work in harmony because all truth is God's truth. And psychologists have identified two major laws that govern our minds. And the first is called the law of cognition which basically says that we become what we think. What you think determines who you become. And research backs this up, that people who think they are sickly often get more sick. But people who view themselves as robust and healthy can often have stronger immune systems. And that a tennis player can improve her backhand by actually just thinking about visualizing the stroke. Uh, What you think determines who you become. That's the law of cognition. The second law is called the law of exposure. Uh, that basically says that what you think about is determined by what you most expose yourself to. 
One psychologist says it like this, what repeatedly enters your mind occupies your mind. And if that's true, if what you let into your brain determines what you think about and what you think about determines who you become, then that means that one preacher was absolutely right when he said it like this. What goes into your brain today comes out of your heart tomorrow. Let me say that again. What goes into your mind today will come out of your heart tomorrow. That means that if you want to have a heart full of love for God, you must repeatedly fill your mind with the kinds of things that God loves. And this is good news for us, that this kind of love for God can be learned. That in the same way that I learned how to be distracted by baseball and dessert and answering my email, that in the same way my heart learned to be filled with with greed and envy and cynicism and, and, and all kinds of things, my heart can also still learn how to love. It's not too late. Paul never says that it will be easy, but it is possible. And Paul tells us how, actually, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, when he says it like this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Set your mind on things above. Now, now I want you just use this verse as a filter and run your life through it. How much of what you sing is true? How much of what you uh, talk about is, is noble? How much of what you read is right? How much of what you listen to is lovely? How much of what you watch is admirable? How much of how you work is excellent? How much of your leisure is praiseworthy? Take an audit of your daily rhythms and then choose to set your minds on things above. And when you do, your heart will follow and you will grow to love what God loves. In ancient Greek mythology, there's the story of the Odyssey in which the hero Odysseus is sailing by the dangerous island of the sirens. And the sirens would sing their beautiful, seductive song to lure in ships and sailors only to have them be dashed on the deadly rocks. And so to protect his ship from this fate, Odysseus plugs the ears of his soldiers with beeswax so that they won't hear the deadly music. But later on in the narrative, there's another man named Orpheus who sails by the same enticing island. And instead of plugging the ears of his sailors so they don't hear the song, Orpheus chooses to protect his ship in another way. He pulls out his own instrument, and he plays a song that is better and more beautiful than the song of the sirens. And so when his sailors hear the beautiful music, the sweeter song, the song of life, they are no longer tempted by the song of death, and their lives are spared. So, Christian... Paul is calling us to listen to the sweeter song. And practically, that means that here's my challenge for you. Memorize Colossians 3, 1 through 17. There are few mental disciplines more effective than that of memorizing scripture. During Jesus's own ministry here on earth, it was the scripture that he memorized that helped him to discover who God was and who God was calling him to be. As Jesus was dying on the cross, paying the price for our sins, as he was dying for our wandering hearts and wayward minds, Jesus quoted scripture that he had memorized. Psalm 22, as he was hanging there dying, and it helped him to set his mind, to set his heart, on things above. 
And if you tell me that you can't do this, then I would challenge you to quote me five lines from your favorite movie. I promise you can memorize. So uh, print these verses out and stick them in your shower, tape them on your steering wheel, stuff them in your purse, set them as the background on your phone. If you memorize just two verses a week, you can memorize the first 17 verses of Colossians chapter three and have them locked in easily by the end of the summer. And I promise that if you do, you'll find that your mind is a little more set on things above. And that as a result, your heart is filled with a little bit more love for God. Because what goes into your mind today will come out of your heart tomorrow. And if you look at Jesus, you will begin to look like Jesus. Let's pray. Oh God, we ask that you would set our hearts and minds on you. And Father, we know from your word that righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. And so we ask, Lord, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let justice roll on like a river. And Lord, we ask that you would use the unrest, the protests. We ask that you would use the legislative, judicial, and executive branches of our government. We ask that you would use our law enforcement to establish your justice and mercy upon the earth. And we ask that you would use us as your body, your church, to be your hands and feet, to extend the reconciliation that Jesus bought for us through his death on the cross and to give his mercy and his grace to the people who need it most. Father, we ask that you would bind up the brokenhearted and most of all, that you would give us hearts like yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.